I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today on Fifth Emission, how do we control the spread of the coronavirus? Santa Clara County has banned public gatherings of more than 1,000 people. San Francisco has ended public events in city-owned buildings. Some U.S. cities, they're setting up containment zones. So what could be next here? Our chief health reporter on this story is Erin Alday, and she's back with us to explain the mitigation and containment efforts and what we might expect. So, Erin, this week, I think you are hitting the records for the most repeat visits on Fifth and Mission. Um, Clearly, interest in this topic is very high. So maybe bring us up to speed with where we are today. Right. So um, first of all, I feel so lucky to have been here (laughs) so many times. Um, so, yeah, right now, we're, we just, as testing goes on, we're seeing the case counts climb higher and higher. Um, and I think we're at, um, we're approaching 100 cases now in the Bay Area. And what's especially important about that number is that I think two-thirds of those have been in the last week alone. So we're just seeing these, you know, new cases popping up literally every single day in every county. We have cases in every county now. Um, Santa Clara County is, as of this afternoon, up to 45. I mean, it's literally hour to hour keeping track of the of the numbers climbing in the Bay Area. And, you know, as most of these are community spread, meaning that they just appear to be infections that pop up out of nowhere, there's no, you know, obvious source of infection. Um, and the Bay Area is so closely connected, it's just sort of at this point assumed that it's circulating all over the place. Is there a chance that, um, based on what you know, that it was circulating in the community even before February? I I spoke to a doctor this weekend who said, you know, we had a lot of weird respiratory problems going around the Bay Area. We didn't know what it was. We just chalked it up to weird, weird winter sickness season. Do you you think that this was around before? And, And just now that we have the tests, we're beginning to see how bad it is? Increasingly, people are are saying that for sure. Um, I think definitely it's been around longer than than the last couple of weeks. Um, certainly since, you know, mid-February, the testing is just catching, you know, what's been circulating out there for a while. It's probably going to be a little while before we know for sure when it arrived. But, you know, just over the weekend, um, the ship doctor on that Grand Princess cruise ship um, which had the case um, from a trip in Mexico where, where somebody was infected. The ship doctor believed that that passenger did not get infected on the ship, but got infected in his community, um, presumably in Placer County. And that infection would have had happened in uh, in early February, which is a good two or three weeks before the first community case was ever reported. So you've got that. And, you know, I was, you know, thinking back, I think I talked with a a public health officer in Alameda or Contra Costa County back in early February um, who said at the time that she thought it was here. She thought it was widely circulating. And at the time, I was kind of skeptical. I'm thinking, well, if it's here, wouldn't we be finding those people somehow? And she was just like, nope, it's here. I have no doubt about it. And I think the thinking is that this thing was circulating pretty freely in China for December. We have so much back and forth with China. It if you think about it, it almost seems illog- illogical that we wouldn't have had cases popping up back in January that we just didn't know what we were looking for. Right. And and that's I think that's an interesting point because it puts into context for me or maybe takes out of context is a better way of putting it. This number of 100 cases like what does that mean? What does that mean? Should we be alarmed at 100 cases? And if it was circulating around and we weren't all frantically washing our hands and, you know, dousing ourselves in Purell, you know, what what should an average person take away from that? 
I think that's a super important question. And it's true that it makes these case counts seem, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that we shouldn't be doing it. Um, I think it's important to keep track of, you know, try to try as best we can to keep track of how much of this is out there. Um, and this is sort of the very best tool that we have at this point um, to, to monitor this. So we should be doing that. But yeah, I mean, there are certainly a number of cases for everything that tests positive. We don't know what that number is. Is it 10 cases for every person that tests positive? Is it 20? Is it, you know, are there thousands of people? It's just we don't know. And I think the message to average people is to just assume that it's out there and to take every precaution you can personally to protect yourself and to protect your family. Kind of, you know, to blast the same message as you would with influenza, as you would with the flu. That's, you know, but more important than ever. So the hand washing thing, of course. Um, but really, you know, if you have any symptoms, if you're sick, if you're not feeling well, stay away from people. Stay home if you can. Stay home until you're symptom free. Um, if you have to go to work, if you have to go out and about, stay away from people who are vulnerable. Stay away from people who are older, who have health conditions. You know, now is not a good time to bring your kids to see the grandparents if they have a cough. Um, so you should be doing all kinds of things like that. And this is also why places like Santa Clara County and San Francisco and increasingly more more counties around the Bay Area are instituting these pretty aggressive social distancing measures and are saying, this is out here. We want to slow down as much as we can. So what we're doing is asking people to just keep apart. We're just putting distance between each other. Um, and that's everything from don't shake hands to just don't you know, if you're at the grocery store, don't stand right behind somebody in line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you said uh, that, you know, this this ticker mentality of all of these cases. I mean, it's one thing that we've discussed as editors, too, whether at what point do you stop the constant breaking news alerts when there's a new, new case or a new death when maybe this had been happening all along? And and I think we'll have to see how that evolves. But it's a conversation that I that. I want to have in the newsroom just on an ethical level of at what point are you freaking everybody out unnecessarily? And at what point are you providing information that clearly people want to know? Because these containment efforts are ramping up with the number of cases. Um, some universities are canceling classes today. Harvard has told students not to come back. Um, what What's the local scene of universities and schools like right now? So, yeah, I mean, universities, um, I think, I don't want to say every single one of them has suspended in-person classes, but it might actually be every single one of them at this point. You're nodding. Do you know that for sure? No, I, I think it's pretty close. I was trying to think of one that was still having classes and I can't think of yeah, one. Yeah, I think it's just about all of them um, have suspended in-person classes uh, for at least a couple weeks. Um, and, you know, those are mostly because a lot of universities um, are in people are in very close quarters for long periods of time. People live in dorms, um, which I guess you know, if they're in dorms, they're still going to be in dorms, but it, but they're going to be, you know, in very close quarters. And there's people asking about when are we going to do that with K through 12 schools, um, which is a logical question to ask. And at some point it may get to that. But right now, public health officials are really weighing between, you know, the repercussions of that. Um, and the truth is, if you pull kids out of school for two weeks, you know, that's every, I mean, in the Bay Area, especially where almost every family has two working parents, you know, that's going to be not only a major impact on families, but a lot of families just can't do that. And so they're just going to have their kids probably getting together in some other location that maybe doesn't have infection control like you do at least a little bit in schools. Um, or you'll have, 
you know, parents hauling sick kids into work with them or, you know, it could just really backfire and and spiral in a way that that defeats the purpose of it. And especially because the risk to kids themselves is pretty low. So it's not really like you're putting the children at risk by leaving them at school. You're putting the larger community at risk. And so I think the poor underpaid teachers at risk. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I think that that's, you know, that's what they're weighing right now. And isn't it also true that like the healthcare system could be affected by a school closure too? Because nurses and doctors and the, they have kids too. And if their kids can't leave the house and they don't have any care, then you don't have people working in the hospital. Well, exactly. And the last thing we want to be doing right now is pulling off you know workers away from from hospitals and any healthcare situation. But yeah, that's absolutely something they're they're thinking about. We we've talked in the past about when do we start to give up on containment as an issue and mitigation and and just go for complete treatment. Has that become any more clear in the last couple of days? Um, I don't think it's become clear. There's there's shifting for sure away from really stringent containment to more of this this mitigation. And I describe this to people as containment is very one-on-one focused. And so it's taking every single individual and trying to hold the virus at that person and to those that per, that individual's close contacts. Um, and it's just, it takes a lot of resources. It takes a lot of money and people to to do that kind of effort, to do contact tracing, to like, you know, that that woman in Solano County who was the first case identified of community, I think the public health officer up there told me that resulted in about 400 contacts, that they have to now reach out to those people and, you know, find out just how close of a contact they were. Do they need to quarantine? Are they some lower risk? You know, that's just imagine all of the work that goes into tracking down 400 people and telling them what to do. So, you know, they have to think real hard on, are we at a point where that's just not productive anymore? And today, Sacramento County announced that it's not going to be doing that anymore. Um, They'll probably be doing limited contact tracing. So they'll want to, you know, identify who's in the same house as somebody or who, um, you know, has very close contact, but they're not going to do the deep investigations. And perhaps more importantly, they're not going to be doing mandatory quarantines. So if you are somebody who is known to have a contact with somebody who's sick, they're not going to insist that you stay home and isolate yourself for two weeks. You know, they're going to ask you to really be on the lookout for symptoms and to report that if it comes up. But they're just recognizing that that is quickly going to be a problem for our workforce, for individuals, for, you know, just kind of society in general, if we're telling that many people to quarantine. But isn't that exactly what has worked in China is shutting everything down and making it stop? So doesn't that seem to be antithetical to what we know is working? Yeah. And I think I I spoke with actually somebody from San Francisco Public Health just today about that very topic. And her point was it's it's a balance and you have to constantly be thinking about, you know, is it worth I mean, nobody here is really talking about shutting down entire communities just yet. But that's, you know, something that they're doing in New York right now um, for a very large outbreak where they're going to shut down an entire community for two weeks, have the National Guard come in and bring them food and everything. But they've also got like 100 plus cases in just like a week um, in one pretty small area. So we're not at that level in the Bay Area. um, But that's certainly something on their mind. Um, We're shutting down all of Italy. 
Or should I mean, we not all that's, exactly? This seems like very hard. It, it well, it is hard. hard. I mean, and, it's hard and, and it's threatening the economy. I mean, you think about the long term repercussions of that; it's huge. And so, yeah, in the Bay Area, those are all things that they're watching very carefully. But you have to, and and it may be, you know, even she was telling me today, they may think in hindsight, "Wow, we should have done that." You know, maybe this was the right time to shut down everything in the Bay Area and prevent massive fallout. You know, they can't make that. Dis- they can't know for sure how that's going to play out. I think they would much rather do a little bit more conservative closing down, you know, begging people to stay away from social events, asking people to work from home if they can and hope that people pay attention and that we don't have sharks games and we don't have, you know, these huge gatherings and that that will be enough to make this thing at least, if not go away entirely, slow down to the point where we can manage it. But if that doesn't work, and this is where case counting come, does come in handy, is at least gives you a baseline to notice if things are getting much worse or staying the same or starting to flatten out. You do need that baseline. You need to have a sense of that. So if they see that things are getting way worse, then that's when they will dive in and maybe be more aggressive, but hopefully they'll they'll flatten out. So am I, am I reading too much into what you're saying to, to conclude that you don't think it's likely that we're going to have the National Guard keeping everybody in their houses in San Francisco and setting up huge containment zones. I mean, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I know better than anybody else, but I would that seems unlikely to me. But this thing, honestly, has been taking so many twists and turns along the way. It's like who could have seen that cruise ship? You've stopped predicting what's going to happen. (laughs) No, seriously, it's I, I have no idea. I feel like every time it seems like it's just going on some sort of predictable path, it just takes a sharp left turn. And who even knows? I'm speaking with health writer Aaron Alday about the latest on the coronavirus and our efforts to mitigate it. We'll be right back after this. I kind of have this fatalistic view personally of the coronavirus. I just kind of assume that I'm going to get it. Interesting. Um, I, well, I know maybe it's maybe it's too cynical of me, but part of me just says, you know, when when I was a kid, we had chicken pox parties. Everybody got in the same room and we just got it over with. Explain why that is an extremely bad idea. You know, my sister asked me that exact same question. Oh, she, she could be she could be my podcast yes. host. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think it's something people are thinking about. And I would say I laughed at you just now about being fatalist. But, you know, just yesterday, the CDC was telling Americans Pretty much everybody, not everybody, many people should expect to get this. They just want it to happen. And this comes to your chicken box parties. They want this to happen over like a two-year period. They, you know, I think that the problem with getting a whole bunch of people infected at once is that that can backfire real badly. And how is that? So let's say you go to your party and now you've got, I don't know however many are there, a dozen people are I have more all... friends than that. But I, how many people are you going to invite to your chicken pox party? Your oh, coronavirus party. party. Uh, well, I don't have that many friends. So, so maybe. <laughs> you're now depending on every single one of those people who gets infected to be well-behaved and to stay home and stay away from people for whatever period of time, which we don't exactly know what the infectious period is. So for whatever period of time, let's say they're symptomatic, um, and to keep that to themselves, well... You know, they probably have kids and now you have to keep your kid in the house for however period of time they're symptomatic. And, you know, also your husband, your spouse, you have to keep away from, you know, any sort of family you have to keep, you know, you don't want to go shopping. You really don't want to go out at all. But what if we don't all stay away from each other and we just all get it at the same time? Well, how does that backfire? 
How, who do you mean? Who's all? Like, well, all I mean, of- isn't the issue that if if the whole world caught it in the same month, that is what overwhelms the Oh, yeah, that would system. be terrible. <laughs> so well, because don't have chicken pox parties. No, but that's the problem is, uh, yeah, because it's, it'd be great if you were like, let's let this burn through the healthy people, the younger healthy people, and then we won't have this sort of um, pool of people that can transmit the virus around. And if we can just get all of those people that we want infected to be infected, that will protect our vulnerable population from ever being exposed. I mean, there is a sort of logic to that. I think the problem is that people don't behave in a way that makes that reasonable. And if any of those people, you know, if we get a large pool of people that are infected all at once, it's very likely that that's going to expand out and hit people that we really want to, you know, keep safe from this. And that is the main thing of this is that older people and people with underlying health conditions are so much more at risk um, of death and of serious illness that we want to do everything we can to keep them from getting sick. What is the status of the testing of people? I mean, that seems to be a a political issue, very hot button issue right now. Um, It also seems to be what has helped in South Korea uh, limit or at least start to reduce the number of cases they have. Testing seems pretty key. So where are we? We're still struggling to catch up. Um, You know, we're getting more and more testing kits in California um, from the CDC. And I think some private manufacturers are starting to come on board. But we're still nowhere near the capacity that most people think we should be at, which is, you know, doctors should be able to test whoever they want to test. Whoever they decide on their own needs to be tested and tested. And we're still sort of making these judgment calls where where we're really only testing the people who are sickest um, or the people that we think are very likely to be infected. And that just is not, I mean, it's a terrible way of knowing what's actually happening in the community, especially if the vast majority of people who get this aren't seriously ill. Why is it taking so long to get basic answers about how long this virus lives and how long you're contagious and how long the hang time is before you develop symptoms? Um, I think we're getting closer to that all the time. And it's mostly just that that's, you know, it's epidemiological study that requires large numbers of people and a lot of really good, um, hard information on those people. And, you know, now that we have 100,000 plus cases around the country and there are people that are doing that work of really you know, you have to be able to, to answer those questions, you have to know exactly when people became symptomatic, exactly when they were exposed, um, when they first started shedding the virus, you know, meaning that they were able to spread it to others, when they stopped shedding it. Um, there's just a lot of questions that need to be answered that you have to be, it takes time and it takes large groups of people to answer all of those questions. So they are getting closer to that. Um How long does that take, though? I mean, it seems that there have been so many people studying it in China and there were so many restrictions and they locked down Wuhan. And I just would assume that we'd have some of those answers by now. We have some of those answers. I'm very impatient. I know you're very. (laughs) You know this. Yes, we do those. Um, Honestly, I think part of the problem is because there's so many mild cases of this. Um, that we haven't tested and confirmed. And so that's sort of the denominator is the big problem. We don't, even though we have these 100,000 plus cases, those are sort of the most seriously ill. We don't actually know that much about the very mild cases. And we need that denominator to know things, basic things like how deadly is this? 
Um, we just we don't have that answer yet. We're getting that refined sort of every day. But until we have a real. It seems like it's changing pretty wildly. I mean, from maybe a percent when it was mostly in China to I, I saw yesterday some people reporting up to five percent in yeah. France. That's just th those are I mean, they're still single digits, but that's a lot of people when you're talking about hundreds of thousands infected. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that that concerns a lot of a lot of folks that I talk to um, when you see like that in France. It's like, well, are there, you know, cultural or, you know, social factors that that weigh into this that make it more or less deadly in one community or another? I mean, that's probably the case. But, you know, that's where, again, it's frustrating for someone like you because we don't you know, we don't. It's so this is happening so fast. This whole situation, you know, we're only two and a half months into this. Um, and it does take time to have these answers, especially with something that, you know, it's not like they can just sit down with some raw data and start processing the numbers when the data literally changes every single day. Have we gotten any better about how we're treating the symptoms of it? No. <laughs> I'm also impatient about that. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't heard of anything, any new drugs. Um, you know, there's certainly are a lot of people studying it, but at this time it's just treating the symptoms. Is there anything else you want to mention about where we are with this pandemic? Oh my goodness. I could mention so many things, but. <laughs> well, we have a lot of stories right now on sfchronicle.com, including a look at uh, what is happening in nursing homes around the Bay Area and also the latest um, proposal or plan by the city of San Francisco to make temporary RVs available for homeless people who may get sick so that they are contained in rented RVs and not infecting the population of homeless people that we have. So that's just some of the stories. As we were speaking, I got a breaking news alert from the Chronicle that says the Archdiocese is shutting down all of its schools. So this is a very fluid situation. And I have no doubt, Erin, that you will be back uh, very soon in this podcast room to tell us about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to Aaron Alday for being with me today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.